We've just moved to an afternoon meeting. Oh. Now, it's, it's like you, it's through necessity. You know, we've, we, we meet in a church that's uh, actually quite an old listed Baptist church building in the heart of Southampton. And uh, so they have a small congregation that meets in the side hall in the morning, but they also use some of the other facilities. When we're in the building, we need the whole thing. So we have it in an afternoon now, four o'clock in the afternoon. So where you're all getting used to saying good morning to everyone, we're all getting used to saying good afternoon to everybody. Um, But it does mean that my mornings are a little free and I've been able to travel around a bit and speak at some of the churches that I've been promising to get to and to speak at. Uh, So in the last couple of weeks, last week I was in Woking. Um, It was there, they were having a, a kind of outreach weekend and so they had some evening events and they'd been out on the streets and and they'd asked me to come and do their Sunday meetings and it was great to be able to be with them. They have two meetings at uh, nine o'clock in the morning and an eleven o'clock in the morning. Nine o'clock in the morning. I didn't realize it existed in these days. You know, there they all were, nine o'clock in the morning. Good congregation there at nine o'clock in the morning. And, uh, um, and so I was just able to go and share the message of Jesus with them. Uh, and I think we had on, on the, over the two meetings, I think probably twenty-five or twenty-six people who made a first-time response to the message of Jesus, which was great. I mean, lovely to see a church that's managed to cultivate such a big fringe of people, all of the people in there, some of them were Christians, some of them weren't yet Christians, some of them were wondering about Christ, some of them were a long way away from Christ, but the culture was such that everybody felt welcomed, included, invited in. And so wherever you're at this morning, I'm sure Rob and the team here would want you to feel exactly the same, very, very welcome with them. And, And actually we do have a mission. We do want to introduce you. If you're on the outside, we want to introduce you and get you on the inside because there is nobody quite like Jesus Christ. And, and so one of, the, one of the joys that I have is, is that privilege of helping people take that step of faith and leading them into that relationship with Jesus. And it's such an exciting thing because I know how much it's radically changed my life. And so those 26 people, and uh, they, they weren't just, it's not, I'm not just talking about a numbers of people. This is individual lives where they're finding some truth. They're finding some nugget of gold in the midst of all the flotsam and jetsam of life. They're finding something worth giving their lives to. And to be able to help somebody take that journey is a real privilege. Uh, And so those of you that are Christians, that are part of the church here, I really want to encourage you in that. That's my mission this morning, is to encourage you to be those who lead others into relationship with Jesus because it is such a thrill. Those of you that are mums will know what a thrill it is when your child becomes a reality in your sight and you've got them there in your hands. So it's no different than helping somebody become a child of God. This is what Charles Spurgeon, Victorian preacher, one of my favourites, this is what he said. Even if I were utterly selfish and had no care for anything but my own happiness, I would choose, if I might, under God to be a soul winner. For never did I know perfect, overflowing, unutterable happiness of the purest and most ennobling order till I first heard of one who had sought and found the Saviour through my means. No young mother ever so rejoiced over her firstborn child. No warrior was ever so exultant over a hard-won victory. It's a great joy leading people into freedom. You know, we can very easily forget that and we can just settle phenomenal Christian life. And I can remember a number of years ago, I'd, I'd gone to a conference. We used to put on conferences to try and equip people to share their faith. And, and so we'd got this conference going on up in the Midlands somewhere here. I think it was, might have been Milton Keynes or somewhere like that. And uh, we, it's not quite the Midlands, is it? But, you know, for, when you're in Southampton, everything's Midlands. <laughs> you've got Midlands and you've got Scotland. Um, 
And I, and I, and I was there, and I, I, one guy particularly challenged me. He said, when I pray in the morning, he said, I pray for three opportunities that day to speak to someone and sow a seed about Jesus. And I thought to myself, you know, I used to do that. I used to do that a lot. And I've kind of slowed down a bit and I've dumbed down a bit and I've got busy in church life and I've forgotten that. And so I I, I prayed before I left that conference. And I said, all right, God, I've got the journey home from Milton Keynes to Southampton. And if you want me to meet somebody, if there's somebody that you want me to connect with and somebody that you are seeking... I'll give you that whole journey. I'm not planning on stopping in anywhere. I'm not going for coffee anywhere. I'm going to get in the car in the car park here, and I'm not planning on getting out till I get home, but the journey's yours. It, it was a dangerous prayer, really. I got in the car. It was a car I'd borrowed from a couple in the church, a little red sports car. So there's me driving home, just about to turn on, uh, off the roundabouts onto the main road. And all of a sudden, I saw steam coming out the front of the bonnet. Oh, no. And so I, I pulled over on the side of the road, and I lifted the bonnet. Psh, steam everywhere. And uh, I thought, oh, no, now I'm going to have to call out the RAC. Uh, and then I suddenly stopped and thought, hang on a minute. I'm calling out the RAC. That means there'll be a man who will come. And it'll just be me and him while he's fixing the car. Maybe this is what people speak about when they talk about a divine appointment, a God-appointed meeting. So I prayed. And then a little while later, the RAC man phoned me back. Uh, And he said, look, he said, I'm coming to you. I'll be about 20 minutes, but can you do me a favor? What I want you to do is I want you to drive the car just like I I know exactly where you are. But if you could drive forward 300 yards, you'll see a little farm track on your left. Could you please drive the car down there? Because I hate working on vehicles at the side of the road. And I thought, that's a bit odd. (laughs) Surely that's part of his job. He's an RAC man. Surely working on vehicles at the side of the road is kind of par for the course. But anyway, I put the phone down, did what he asked me to do, kind of limped the car forward into this track uh, and pulled up. And of course, sure enough, he came. Uh, and, and within about a minute, he'd fixed it. It was just a split hose on the radiator and it was, it was done. And I'm thinking, oh, we're not going to get into some deep, meaningful conversation here. And all I knew about him was that he didn't like working on cars at the roadside. So I just said to him, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. When you spoke to me on the phone, you said you didn't like working on cars at the roadside. I said, that sounds a bit odd for somebody who's an RAC man. And he said, oh, he said, this is what, you'll never believe what happened. He said, I was working on a vehicle at the side of the road and I needed to go and get some tools out of my van. So I walked backwards, I slid open the sliding door of the van and, and I leant in to get the tool and a juggernaut hit the van from behind whilst I was in the lay, whilst I was in the hard shoulder. And he said, the door slammed on my back and broke my spine. He said, and from that moment on, he said, I've been absolutely terrified. I hate my job. I can't wait to get out of it. And I kind of took a gulp and I just kind of said, wow. I said, well, at times like that, do you wonder if there's a God? And he just went, oh, absolutely. He said, I know I'm alive for a reason. I just haven't found out quite what it is yet. And I said, well, it's funny you should say that. Because I've just come and I explained to him and I was very honest with him. I said, 
I, I was in this meeting and I prayed and I asked God to bring somebody to me or for me to meet somebody this afternoon that he was seeking. He said, do you think it's me? I said, I think it might be. So I said, give me one moment. And I went into the car and I got out my Bible. And I started to show him a couple of verses in the Bible that explained him and where he was in relation to God and how he could find relationship with God and how God had a plan for him and how God wanted to meet with him and had a plan that was going to take him not just into a better job but into a better life altogether. And I showed him these things and he said, that's exactly what I've got to do. I said, well, do you want me to pray for you? And we can pray together. And I said, I can lead you into a relationship with Jesus. And he said, oh, yes, please. So I said, okay, then, let's do it. And do you know what the next thing shocked me? He immediately dropped to his knees on the verge. I thought, okay, so I joined him on the verge and uh, kind of put my arm around him, kind of gave him a cuddle. And uh, anyway, we prayed, and there on the side of the road, somewhere outside Milton Keynes, he went from death to life and became a child of God. And I thought, what? And the funniest thing was, you have to fill in a report afterwards, and he also has to fill in a report. Uh, And uh, he fixed the times a little bit, because we've been there about 45 minutes for a five-minute repair. But he said to me, he said, I'm going to put down here, this is the best call-out I've ever had. (laughs) I thought that was quite sweet, really. A nice guy. Let's get into the Bible, because what I want you to understand is, God wants us to help people make this journey. It's what we're here for. And um, Paul gives some very practical advice. This, I'm gonna, we're going to look at a, a few verses in Paul's letter to the Colossians. And what I want you to just pick up, really, is that Paul's a very practical man. Of course, he's massively theological. So the first four chapters, three, three and a half chapters of the letter, are obviously full of wonderful doctrine, all about Christ and his supremacy. You've got that beautiful hymn, you know, where, where, where Paul speaks of him being the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him, for him, all things were made. You've got that beautiful theology in there about the person of Jesus and his absolute kingship over the whole of the world. And Paul speaks about his own life and his own ministry. And then you get to this little bit in chapter 4 that Paul calls further instructions. And for me, this has been one of the most helpful little bits of wisdom when it comes to sharing what we have with others. Um, And what I want to unpack, really, three very brief points, is that prayer is the most essential activity that you can be engaged in if you want to help people connect with Jesus. Okay, Because sometimes we think it's all about our gifts, or our words, or our skills, or our abilities, or our opportunities, even. But really, the thing that made the difference to the RAC man was that I prayed. And it's something that God taught me years and years ago. If you don't pray... God doesn't open a door. If you do pray, he does. So let's just... I mean, Paul, Paul, Paul saw it as inseparable. So he, he wouldn't dream of proclaiming anything about Jesus without the backdrop of prayer. And every time he prayed, he seemed to be kind of calling down the power of heaven to strengthen the things that he said and the things that he did. So he was always praying. Romans, let me give you a couple of lines. In Romans he said, In my prayers at all times, and I pray that at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. And in Ephesians he said, Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I'll fearlessly make known the gospel. So he's always saying, Pray for me, I'm praying for you. And he sees it as vital in terms of bringing in the kingdom of God. 
and reeling back the dominion of darkness. Um, so three things that I want to look at. The type of prayer in your evangelism, the purpose of prayer in your evangelism, and the results of prayer in your evangelism. Let me just read Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to read these four verses from verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Type of prayer in your evangelism. What kind of prayer should we be engaged in? Paul says in verse 2, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Three words in there, devote, watchful and thankful. So prayer clearly undergirds the whole of our Christian life. It's the vital, most vital activity any of us as human beings can be involved in. And if our mission is the mission of Jesus, to make disciples of all nations, then the first place that that begins is actually on our knees, in the place of prayer. So Paul says, devote yourself to it. Devote. You know, those of you that are married, you know what devotion is. It's about giving yourself exclusively to something, to the exclusion of everything else. That's what devotion means. If you're devoted to, I don't know, Aston Villa, you give it your time, your attention, your focus to the exclusion of every other football club. If you're devoted to your husband or wife, you focus your love and affection and commitment on them to the exclusion of everybody else. Paul's saying here, devote yourself to prayer. It's interesting, isn't it? That means we've got to somehow find a way of giving ourselves exclusively to praying for this kind of of opportunity and encounter. We've got to devote ourselves to it. That means we've got to pray committedly and regularly for God to use us to reach people that don't yet know him. It's a devotion thing. Getting absorbed in that for a season. So Jesus said, go into your room and pray to your father who is unseen. So he's saying that's how you devote yourself. You go to a place that is distraction-free And you bring these requests to God. Now, I think in our day, you'd probably say, go somewhere and switch off your phone for a bit. Yeah? I think that's a modern day version. You know, make sure there's no radio, television, nothing. Come before God and pray and ask him for the lives of those that he's put around you. Devote yourself to praying for your work colleagues, your friends, your neighbours, your family, the people you bump into in, in, in the shops, the people that you connect with at the school gate, whoever it might be. Paul says devote yourself to praying those kind of prayers, saying, God, would you help me? Help me. That's what you're praying for, ultimately. Some people say it's wrong to pray for yourself. I would say rubbish. If you don't pray yourself for yourself, you're going to be rubbish. 
Pray for yourself. Say, God, would you fill me so much with your Holy Spirit that your kingdom comes through me? Won't you help me to do the work that you've called me to do? Won't you help me to be a walking, talking example of Jesus to those around me? Won't you give me courage when I need it and boldness when I need it and sensitivity when I need it? Help me to care for those around me. Help me to love them like you would love them. That's not a selfish prayer. That's a prayer that equips you to be Jesus to them. And Jesus said, ask. And we can ask him. We can ask him for that kind of anointing, that kind of equipping, that kind of power. And who knows what he could unleash through our lives when we're committed to him in that. So you pray. I mean, I pray, Lord, anoint me to make disciples of those that you put around me. Help me to help others follow you. Remember Paul said to Timothy, didn't he? He said, the things you've heard from me entrust to reliable men who will then go on to teach other people. So if you want other people to become followers of Jesus, you've got to be a follower of Jesus, then you've got to help other people to become a follower of Jesus, then they'll help others to become a follower of Jesus. And the, the kingdom of God extends and extends and extends through one to another. So I had a man... Uh, last week who had been a Christian for one week and he was able to introduce his wife to Jesus the following week it's lovely, it's a little cascade of love that goes through a family when that happens you see if you pray with devotion then what happens is you follow through with God's heart when you're in a situation so um, one of my uh, leadership team down in Southampton he, he was praying with me recently he was saying I find it really frustrating he's a school teacher he says I, I, I really try and represent Jesus well at work and I often talk to people I've invited lots of people onto our alpha courses and to social events that we've done but I just seem to be hitting just kind of a brick wall and, and I said well just you're doing all the right things but why don't we pray a bit more for them and so we did this we prayed we devoted ourselves to praying and we prayed, and, and the, the following week, one of his work colleagues came up to him and, and said, I'm not quite sure what to do. I've got a, a lump on my neck, and I'm really concerned about it. Um, the doctors, I haven't been to the doctors yet, but I'm fairly convinced it's something quite nasty. And normally he would chat to her and talk to her and sympathise with her, but he, he, in this moment he knew we'd been praying and he felt courage to pray for her. And so he offered to pray for her. He said, could I just pray for you? And she said, okay. And so in the staff room, uh, he literally put his hand on her neck and prayed. Uh, and she booked an appointment with the doctors. But when she got to the doctors, the lump had completely gone. And, uh, and she was completely healed of whatever it was. Um, and, and so he was like, oh, okay. And then the following week, another one of his colleagues came up to him and said, oh, I heard what happened with her neck. I, I've got this thing going on and explained another illness that she'd got. Can you do the same thing for me? And he said, well, I can try. Um, so he prayed for her. And remarkably, she also was healed. Now, the th- funny thing was, the, the week after this, so week three came along, my church administrator came up to me and said, look at this. And he'd gone onto our website and two people had signed up that day for the Alpha course. And it was these two teachers. They both, they both thought, wow, I need to find out what Simon believes now. And so I was there this Tuesday speaking on the Alpha course. And there they were on a table 
hearing all about Jesus and growing in their understanding of him and we're believing God that he will lead them into a relationship with him. But it began with prayer. This is what I want you to understand. It began with prayer. Paul said, devote yourself to prayer. So I want you to set yourself a prayer agenda. Find a time in the week when you think, actually, I'm going to give myself, in this moment in time, exclusively to praying for those around me who don't yet know Jesus. Because I care for them, and I love them, and I want them to find what I've found. You see, I, there's different things that you can do to remind yourself. So, so in the summer, um, I made a decision that whenever I cut the grass, I'm mowing the lawn... Whenever I'm mowing the lawn, I pray for the neighbours on that side. They were having all sorts of struggles with their, their baby. They had a new baby and they were really struggling. Uh, he was a helicopter pilot and uh, she was a businesswoman. But they were really, really struggling kind of emotionally and their marriage wasn't great and really difficult with a new baby. So I thought, right, every time I mow the lawn, I'm going to pray for them. So I'm praying for them and I'm going up and down the lawn. And Paul says, be watchful and thankful. Devote yourself to prayer and be watchful and thankful. So once I've prayed for them, I'm then watchful. I'm thinking, okay, what's going on with them now? And I, I kind of metaphorically peer over the garden wall. You know, I'm looking for opportunities to chat to them and find out how they're doing. And so devoting myself every time I did that was a great thing. And I, because I'd prayed, you see, I was then interested. I'd, I'd invested in their life. And because you pray, you care. And then it's kind of like a cycle. Because you care, you then pray some more. And, and it kind of goes on. And so they, they were supposed to be moving away at, the, at that time. Um, but it was, again, that was another, another couple who said, well, we, you know, our house sale has fallen through, but we've made a decision that we're going to stay. And because we're staying, we now want to come and do the Alpha course. Because, again, they, they, they'd heard me. Too. I'd invited them several times to that. If you haven't heard of Alpha, by the way, if you're new to this and you're new in church, Alpha is a great way for you to find out and get to grips with the basics. I'm sure the church here will do something or something similar over, over time. Uh, so do find out that. But you see, being committed and devoted and then being watchful and thankful, you always do, if, you, if, you, if you've invested in something, you will follow through with action. So I don't know if any of you plant vegetables in the, you know, in the spring. I used to do that. I used to cultivate a little patch of garden, you know, get out all the weeds, get out all the stones, and then I'd plant some carrots and some radishes and some you know, different veggies and things like that. And I would get home from work every day, and I would, as soon, I'd rush in through the door, I'd say, hi everyone, I'm straight out into the back garden, just to see, is there a little speck of green coming up above the mud yet? And I'm, no, nothing yet, so I'm back out. Next day I'm home, hi everyone, I'll be back in a minute, just... Put the kettle on, and I'm down there. And then the day comes where you see a little speck of green. You see, because you've invested, you're interested. And if you invest and sow in prayer, the relationships that you've got with your friends and your work colleagues and you know, anybody that you meet, you'll be interested. And your eagerness will be to watch and see how they're doing and to follow through. It's funny. I, I, I try all sorts of funny things to try and connect me and remember, remind me to pray. So I've got a friend called Abigail. We call her Abs. And I know she's kind of got some struggles. But on my car, actually I haven't got it on my new car, I had a little light for the anti-lock braking system, ABS. You see, Abigail, we called her Abs. So every time my, my, I turn my car on, it says Abs in front of me. So I'm thinking, right, I'm going to pray for Abs. Every time I start the car, I'm going to pray for Abs. Yeah, you can find anything. Find any little thing that can help you be devoted to prayer. Be devoted, watchful 
and thankful. Remember, talk to God about your neighbours before you talk to your neighbours about God. It's in that order, yeah? So what about the purpose of prayer? What does Paul say about that? Well, he says in verses 3 and 4, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So that's the verses that he says in 3 and 4. Let's get to grips with that a little bit. He's saying pray... Pray for God to open a door so that we can speak and then we can speak clearly, to summarise what he says. You see, we really need to pray because whilst there is a responsibility on us to discharge the gospel, if you like, to tell people about Jesus, it's actually God alone who rescues. It's him that does that. So Paul describes the gospel as a debt. He said, this is a message that's been given to me to be able to give away to others. So he recognises his responsibility. But he also recognises that there's something of a door here. There's something of a, a closed door that we need to ask God to open. You see, before we come to know Christ, the reality is the Bible describes us as being in darkness. It's like a shut door. The Bible describes us as being veiled as having like scales in front of our eyes. In fact, it goes even further than that. The Bible describes us as being dead and lost. And so we've got this kind of shut door thing that we're behind. And what Paul says is pray for God to open a door for the message. You see, without God opening the door... We, there's nothing we can do. We may as well just keep our mouths shut unless God begins to do something. You see, we can't share the gospel with somebody if the door is shut any more than you can run through a door that is locked and bolted. You're just going to end up with a bruised head if you keep doing that. But actually, God is sovereign. And there are things that he decides and there are times when he opens the door. That's what we've got to pray for. We've got to ask him. We're genuinely praying. I think sometimes we pray like theologians rather than out of necessity. Do you ever do that? So we'll pray and we'll say, Lord, thank you that you are wonderful. Thank you that you are majestic. Thank you that you're the king of all kings. Thank you that you've risen from the dead and you're alive. And and so we're, we're, we're reminding God of all that he is. That's no bad thing. But really prayer is saying, God, I need you to do something. You know, we've got to pray like charismatics sometimes rather than like theologians yeah because we, we need God to do something my friend without Christ isn't gonna get eternal life does that matter to me yes God that's not right I want that door to open please I'm desperate for him to hear about you gotta pray from desperation sometimes and actually, Jesus gave some teaching on that. And he said, if the door's shut and people aren't receiving you or your message, then you do need to just shake, shake the dust off your feet and not be condemned and move on. That's fine. That's fine. But then there are times when God does open a door. There are times when a little glimpse of light comes in. And there's an opportunity. And when it does, that's when we've got to be prepared. And that's when we've got to be ready. I remember reading um, 
about uh, a, a little encounter where God opened a door. And it was uh, Larry Tomzak was uh, having a, on a family holiday uh, and visiting friends in Beverly Hills. And uh, they were kind of driving around all the kind of posh areas of Beverly Hills. And, you know, he said to his friend, uh, I'm just trying to think what his friend's name was now. I can't remember what his friend's name was. Oh, Steve. He said to his friend Steve, he said, I wonder while we're driving around here, if God will give us an opportunity to talk to somebody famous. Wouldn't that be amazing? So they kind of drove around the back streets of Beverly Hills and then they ended up going down the the side of the Beverly Hills Hotel. And as they looked through this kind of ivy-clad wall and this opening in it, they could see. And he said, wow, look, it's Moses. It was Charlton Heston. The actor, yeah? It was in Ben-Hur and all those great epics, those Bible epics. So there was Charlton Heston playing tennis at the back of the Beverly Hills Hotel. So he thought, right, that's it. This is my opportunity. I'm going to go and talk to him. So he, he went to his glove box and he got out a, a tract, a gospel tract with the information, all the information about Jesus on it, and he put it in his back pocket and he eagerly went up. And of course, as soon as he got to the gate, this burly security guard kind of stepped in his way. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, that is Charlton Heston, sir. No, sir, you may not go in. Terribly sorry. He thought, oh, no. So he kind of turned away and went back to the car a bit disappointed. And he somehow felt like it wasn't over. So they sat in the car and they prayed, Steve and Larry, and they said, come on, God, give us another opportunity. Lord, please, would you do something? And so they prayed and then they drove round to the back of the hotel. And there at the back of the hotel was another opening to the tennis court. And no security guard. And so he thought, this is it. So he got his tract out again, put it in his pocket. And he was just creeping up to the gate when Charlton Heston whacked the tennis ball and it flew up and hit a conifer. And it kind of went bing, 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 all the way down the conifer and then fell out and landed in Larry Tomzak's hands. So he's there at this gate. He's got Charlton Heston's tennis ball and Charlton Heston starts walking towards him. He's like this. He said, hello, Mr. Heston. He said, hello there. He said, I just wonder, do you, do you think I could just give you this before you go? He said, yes, of course, thank you very much. And he, he took it. He put it in his pocket and walked off. And then he turned back and said, do you think I could have my ball back, please? But the thing was, he got this opportunity. One little opportunity. A little seed was sown. We will never know the fruit of that. But he got his opportunity. And you know, I think about that story. And do you know what strikes me? It's not the whole Beverly Hills thing or the famous actor thing or even the tree and the ball thing. Do you know what always comes back to me when I think about that story? In his glove box, he had tracts about Jesus. You know, I read that and I thought, I've got to do that. In fact, not just in my glove box, wherever I can, I'm going to have something so that when an opportunity comes, you see, Paul says here, pray that God will open a door for our message and that we may proclaim the mystery 
we might somehow get something across. We might have somehow, however small the opportunity might be, we might be able to communicate something. And so I want to encourage you in that as well. I want to encourage you, ladies, let me encourage you particularly. Okay, handbags. Okay, they're lethal weapons. Right, women, I, I mean, my wife's got a handbag. In fact, she bought a new handbag. This, she bought a new handbag recently on eBay. It's a big leather one. Everything gets lost in the bottom. So she had to buy another handbag to go in the handbag. She's got a double handbag. So she now walks around with this kind of handbag, with a handbag inside. But I look in there and it's a mystery. I mean, some of you ladies have got things in your handbags. I don't even know what they're for. But let me ask you this. Have you got something that you can give away? If somebody asks you, have you got an invitation to come here on a Sunday? Have you got something that will explain the gospel to somebody, even if you just get a snatched conversation? Maybe have you got a little New Testament that you can give to somebody? My grandmother-in-law, she was brilliant at this. I mean, she used to carry New Testaments around everywhere. I mean, we were with her on her deathbed in the hospital. And she said to me, Chris, Chris, I just want to give the nurse a New Testament. Can you bring me my handbag? So I said, of course I can. So I went over. (gasps) I mean, I lifted this thing up. She had 23 New Testaments in there. But that was her. That was her. I've told lots of you about her when I was up here before, about the things that she used to do, um, just to share her faith. I mean, the one I always remember, and especially because now I've got this, she, I was taking her out shopping one day, and she was faffing around in the kitchen. And uh, I said, come on, what are you doing? She said, oh, just a minute. And I noticed she'd put a Bible and a letter on her kitchen table. And I went and I had a look at the letter. And the letter said, dear burglar. Yeah. Yeah. Please feel free to ransack my home and remove all of my possessions. My treasures are stored in heaven. But please also take this Bible, look up these verses, know that the Lord Jesus will judge you for what you're doing, but he loves you and he died for you so that you could be forgiven. I urge you to give your life to him today. I mean, talk about making the most of every opportunity. She was never burgled. She was never burgled. I've now got the letter. I'm going to frame it. Yeah, she, she went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago now. But she was always ready. And I want to urge you to be ready. In fact, have you all got one of these? Because I use these all the time. Okay. Okay, what I want you to do, I'm just going to talk you through it very quickly so that you can use it. I always carry two or three of these around in my wallet. Usually if I get a train journey, God will give me an opportunity to share it with somebody on the train. Often if I'm in town and I'm just chatting with somebody or praying with somebody, I'll talk them through this as well. And I'll just very simply say, can I just share something with you that will just take a couple of minutes that will help you to understand what God did in my life. Any kind of opening line that helps people to know that you're not selling something and you're not doing something horrible. And usually people are fine. What you find is most, most people are actually pretty friendly. Most people like chatting. So I'll say to them, it's called The Gap. Now I'm going to talk you through this very, very quickly, okay? because I want to get on to my, my third point. But this is about you being prepared and being ready. It's called the gap, because there's a gap that exists between us and God. And I will try and say to someone, do you hear God? Do you speak to God? 
is God involved in your life every day? And often people will say, no, he's not. I say, well, that's because there's a gap that exists between you and God. And people don't have a problem recognising that. And then I'll flick up to the first page, where it's got the purple, and it says us and God. Now, those of you that know your Bibles will be able to introduce Bible themes here. Now, I've deliberately not put loads and loads of scripture on here, because I want people to have opportunities to talk. But this picture shows us and God together. And so I will explain about the early chapters of Genesis where God made man and man was in relationship with God. Where they did talk together, where they did know one another, where there wasn't any shame between the two, there was no gap between the two. They had friendship and relationship with each other. That's how God intended it to be. Like a father with a son or a daughter, you've got genuine friendship and relationship. And then I will flick up the next page at the bottom there where it introduces the idea of the gap, where it says that actually there's something that has caused the gap. Now, sin, I'll explain, is a Bible word that literally means the things that we think, say and do that would be against God, if you like. So our independent attitudes, our wrong thoughts, our actions that would offend a God who's holy. And I will explain the difference between God's holiness and our fallenness, if you like. And I will ask them, do you have things in your life that you recognise that you're not proud of? Are there things that you've said that you wish you'd not said? Or things that you've done that you know you shouldn't have done? Or or things that you've thought that, that have shocked you? And most people will admit and acknowledge that we've all got this, this challenge of sin in our lives. So really what you're doing there, for those of you that know your Bibles, you're introducing the the ideas that you'll see in Isaiah. Our sins have separated us from God. We're all like sheep that have gone astray. Yeah, you're introducing those kind of themes there. And and usually I'll point out that the man in the picture has got his head down, actually. There's something that happens when we're living outside of the will of God that causes us to have a heads-down mentality. We're never content... We're never fully satisfied because we're missing the thing that we were created for. Then I'll flick up to the top and I'll explain this one where he's trying to build the bridge. Yeah? And I'll explain that because we have got our heads down and we're never satisfied, we try and do things to try and get back the significance that we would have had if we'd had that relationship with God. So some of us will go to church and be really religious and we'll think, if I'm religious and if I'm holy and if I say my prayers and do all my rituals and or whatever else needs doing, then I'll be good enough for God and my life will be happy and satisfied. And others think, I've just got to be a good citizen. You know, if I'm kind and I'm good and I'm nice to people, give to charity, I'm a good person, I'll be happy, I'll be content. You know, it could be anything. It can be careers and relationships. You know, if I make my way in my career and do really, really well, then I'll be significant and I'll, I'll, I'll be satisfied and life will have meaning. Or, or, you know, if I find the perfect husband or the perfect wife and have the perfect family, then, then I know I'll be satisfied. But you can see in the picture what's going to happen as soon as man tries to climb the big bridge that he's trying to build to God, it's actually going to come collapsing down. And I'll usually explain to somebody that actually there's nothing that you and I can do as human beings to reconnect with God in terms of the relationship that we were supposed to have. There's nothing we can actually do. 
None of our good works, none of our great behaviour, none of our religious rituals can get us back with God. And ultimately, I'll start introducing here Romans verse, Romans 6.23. I say ultimately we'll pay a price for the things that we say and think and do. And we will all have a face-to-face with Jesus and we will all be judged for that. Because we all will acknowledge that when we do things wrong, we should be punished. And again, most people don't have a problem with that. Most people are in uproar because they think that injustice has been done in the Oscar Pistorius trial. If you ask somebody on the street, they'll say, you should have got life, you should have got ten years. And this thing about justice comes up in every one of us. Because we know that punishment should follow crime. Well, if we've committed crime, if you like, against God, then we should be judged for that. And we should be punished. And the punishment is separation from God, ultimately, forever. And then flicking down one more, it begins to explain the cross in the second half of Romans 6.23, where Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Paul goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And this is where I'll begin to introduce some of the more famous gospel verses like John 3.16, where we understand that God so loved us that he sent his only son into the world so that we wouldn't perish, but we'd have eternal life. And so you're showing people that through the cross of Jesus, where he, if you like, if this was our catalogue of sin, and this is us, this is the gap, this is God, and we cannot have a relationship with him, the Bible teaches that when he went to the cross, all of our sin was laid on him, and he took it away and destroyed it forever which leaves us free to reconnect with God. And you see, once we realise that there's nothing we can do to get rid of this, but Jesus did it on the cross, then our bit is to believe and receive the forgiveness that came with that. And so usually when I'm sharing this with somebody, I will explain a bit of my own story about how I came to faith in Jesus, how I was a drug addict, how I was a drinker, how I was a musician who toured around and just did things for pleasure and for the high life. And how I ended up nearly dead because of that. Yet God met me. And God rescued me. And God restored me. God healed me. God put me back together. And instead of being an orphan, he made me a son. And you see, as I shared that with people, I've shown them the prayer at the bottom. And I'll say, the day that it all changed for me was a day when I prayed a prayer like this. Where I said to God, look, I have got this so desperately wrong. If you're real, I want to know you. Please forgive me. I want you to come into my life. And he did. Miraculously, wonderfully, amazingly. 22 years ago, I was a complete wastrel and he saved me. And he's given me a life full of purpose. And you see, if you've got something like this to share with somebody, anything can happen. Absolutely anything can happen. I was out on the high street in Southampton one day and uh, a guy came up to me, uh, he was a Muslim, uh, uh, his name's Mohammed, and he said to me, can I just, I, I wonder if I put a picture of him up actually, I may have put a picture of Mohammed, have we got a, let's have a look Sarah, just, did I, yeah, you can't quite see him, but he's there with his niece, and, and Mohammed came up to me actually, um, because uh, we were just chatting with people and he said, uh, can I ask you a question? I said, of course you can. He said, why can't I find God in Islam? I said, wow, that's a big question. Have you got some time? He said, yeah, I've got, I've got an appointment now. 
But he said, if you can come back at three o'clock. So I went to his flat at three o'clock and we had some tea. And I talked him through this. I said, look, the reason you can't find God in Islam is... And I talked to him about, uh, you know the story that Jesus told about the two sons and the father? And one of the sons wanted their father's inheritance early. And so he took it and then he wasted it all. Uh, and, and was on his own and suddenly came to his senses after he'd blown the money on high living. And then I was telling him this and I was kind of telling him my own story interweaved with it. And then I explained to him about his, what happened when he returned to the father and how the father welcomed him and loved him and put his arms around him. And as I'm sharing about that father, Muhammad begins to weep. He said, I knew there was a God like that. A God that would welcome me, a God that would love me, a God that would care for me. I want that God. I want to know that God. And so over a cup of tea in his flat, he repented of his sin, he put his trust in Jesus, and he came to faith himself, and he found that father. He found that father. And and the the upside for me is he owns one of the nicest Indian restaurants in Southampton. So I get lovely Indian food now. Uh, I'm just praying for a Chinese man to come to faith in Jesus now. And it'll all be good. Uh, But he's such a lovely guy and going on with God. And and sometimes you'll have successes and sometimes you'll have failures. I think you've got to be okay with that. I mean, I I have some great successes with my rugby class. I started playing rugby about eight months ago again for the first time in 25 years. So you can imagine how hard that was getting out on the rugby field and huffing and puffing like an old bull. But, but I'm, I'm a bit fitter now, thankfully. I've got a bit fitter. And, 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 and it was great because we, we had an evening in the church the other day and three of my rugby mates and their wives came along. And so I'm, I'm seeing, wow, this is great. I'm getting some opportunities with my rugby friends. And that's all great. I had a similar intent when I joined Southampton Jazz Club. Um, I really wanted to just kind of chat to people and make some friends, because you know what it's like, especially if you're a professional Christian working in an office. You know, I haven't got many friends that aren't Christians anymore, you know, so I have to purposely go out and find them. So uh, so, so I joined the jazz club, and what I didn't realise, it was a pretty serious jazz club. So I'd go in there, and you'd, you'd get a pint of beer, and then you'd go and sit at your table. Somebody would play jazz, and everybody would sit there nodding for an hour in silence, occasionally clapping, and then nodding again. And then there'd be an interval when everybody rushed to the bar, filled up their beer, went back again, and then sat for another hour, nodding. Clapping occasionally, and then nodding. And then at the end of the evening, everybody just went home. I said to the guy that I went with, Steve, who's one of the guys in the church who also liked jazz, I said, this is rubbish. I said, I'm loving the jazz, but I'm not meeting anybody. So it's a waste of an evening, so we stopped going. So now I've been thrust into rugby. But be prepared for some successes and some failures. Paul says... Help us to proclaim the message clearly as we should. We do have to get the gospel across to people. You see, that's why I like using this, because it means I'm going to focus on the message that Jesus brought, the message of the kingdom. Not just my own story, not just come to church and everything will be nice, it's really nice, we've got drums and everything. You know, we can sometimes dumb it down, can't we? I think Christians are very good at food. You know, people need the gospel. Sometimes all we give them is quiche, isn't it? That's a uniquely Christian thing, isn't it? Quiche. I love it, but quiche. But we've got to get the gospel across, haven't we? (laughs) Even if it's Delia's recipe, quiche isn't going to save anyone. (laughs) Lastly, what are the results of this kind of prayer in evangelism? You can see the results in verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer everyone. 
You see, when you pray for God to give you opportunities, when you're prepared and you take them, when you start to proclaim the message clearly, like Paul said, because we care about people, we're then sensitive to them. And we're not crass, and we're not off-putting, and we're not rude, and we're full of grace towards them. And, and I know there are so many people that, with good intent, like to share their faith, but they forget to pray for the grace of God and for his wisdom. I was nearly put off Jesus for life by a rabid Christian who tried to shout me into the kingdom. It scared me. Jesus is so much more gracious than us sometimes. We need to be able to make the most of the opportunities that are in front of us and to be devoted, to be watchful, to be thankful, but then always to let the conversations be full of grace. See, when I'm out on Southampton High Street, which we take teams out about three times a week now, so we have a team that goes out on a Monday afternoon, we have a team that goes out on a Saturday afternoon, we now have a team that goes out on a Sunday for two hours before church as well. And now we're in an afternoon. And we just very gently chat to people, offer to pray for people. If people are hungry, we'll feed them. If there are things they need, we'll try and serve them. And I, I guess our mantra is, whatever kind of conversation we have, we want people to go away knowing that they're loved by God and that they've been blessed by us. And if that's all we do, that's enough. But we pray for God to open a door for the message. And more often than not, he does. You know, I was in a Southampton High Street in the summer. And let me show you a picture of Lee. I think we've got, I think, I, yeah, there's Lee. So, so this was about five or six o'clock in the evening. Uh, now, in the summer often, we've done um, uh, church in the park. We've put up a big tent and we've done church in the park. And we were just heading towards the evening meeting. And I said to one of our guys, Simon, again, the guy who was at, I was talking to you about his praying for his friends at, at work. Uh, he's our youth leader. And so I said, come on, Simon, let's just go up onto the high street, see if there's anybody there. Of course, six o'clock, the high street is dead because the shops are shut and everybody's gone home for tea. So we're just wandering along just to see if there's one or two last people that we can invite to come to the tent, to the church in the park, you see. So we're wandering along and we can see one lad coming in the distance. And it was Lee. And I noticed his T-shirt. He got a trendy Hollister T-shirt. And so had Simon, our youth leader, got a Hollister T-shirt. So I thought, that's the only thing I know about this guy is he's got a Hollister T-shirt. So I just made a joke as he was walking past and went, ha, Hollister buddies, like that. That was was the joke. It was was as lame as they get. But it was enough to make him stop. And he looked at his T-shirt and he looked at Simon's T-shirt. And it was enough for us to be able to say, where are you off to? And he said, oh, I'm going to the pub. Very reasonable thing. He's a young man. It's a Friday night, city centre. Why wouldn't you be going to the pub? And uh, so I said to him, uh, well, do you fancy coming to this instead? And I showed him an invitation to come to the church in the pub. And he kind of looked at it. He said, why? Why on earth would I want to come to this? So I said, oh, I don't know. I said, you know, but uh, we've just been seeing some quite extraordinary things happening down there this week. We've been praying for people that have had injuries and illnesses and sicknesses. And I told him a story of a lad called James who walked out of his wheelchair that week. And he went, well, you couldn't, couldn't heal me. I said, well, what's the matter? He said, oh, I've got sinus infections. He said, I can't get, you know, said they're just there all the time. He said, terrible pounding headaches and stuff like that. I said, well, can we have a go? He said, yeah, all right. So I stood there, three of us on the high street, not another soul in sight. 
And so I literally, I put my fingers on his forehead like this. And I just said, in the name of Jesus, sinuses, be healed. And I waited a second and said, Amen. And he went, took a deep breath and then swore at the top of his voice. And it echoed right the way around the precinct. (laughs) He said, I don't believe that. And he kind of looked at me and he looked at the card and he looked at Simon. And and whilst he was, he was then chatting with Simon. Whilst he was chatting with Simon, I felt God speak to me. And God said three words to me. He said, up for it. Up for it. So I said, look, Lee, this is going to sound really odd. But sometimes God speaks to us and I feel he's given me three words. And I said, it's for you or it's about you. I said, the words were up for it. I said, I don't know if that marks your character. You know, you're the kind of guy that's up for it. Or whether that's a phrase you might use. But I just felt God drop it into my head randomly. And I think he just wants to let you know that he knows you and that he loves you. Up for it, he said. That's me all over. He said, I am so up for it. That's who I am. That is exactly what I'm like. That's weird. And then Simon, of course, being being a bright lad, he, he showed him the card again. And he showed it to him. He said, so, are you up for it? <laughs> so Lee looks at the card, looks at me, looks at Simon and kind of goes, yeah, all right then. And next thing he's wandering down through town, down to the park. And of course he comes down to the park. That evening Adrian Holloway was praying for the sick and preaching the gospel. So not only did he have that healing, also his cruciate ligaments were healed that night when Adrian prayed for him. And of course, when the message of Jesus is shared, the first person to make a response is Lee. He gets up and he begins a new life with God. And then two days later on the Sunday, we baptised him in the park, right there where he'd come to faith in Jesus. And you think, all because God opened a door. We prayed, God opened a door, and we acted wisely. We didn't try and scare him. We wouldn't have stopped him going to the pub. We just wanted to be friends with him. And then God stepped in and healed him and saved him. And so I want to encourage you to be Jesus to your friends, to your colleagues, to the people you meet in the shops, wherever you go, and pray, pray, firstly, watchfully and thankfully in a devoted way. Commit yourself to praying for people. Make a list. I've got a whiteboard in my study at home. And I've got a whiteboard, and on there I write the names of people who I feel God is saying, come on, I want you to make a difference in their lives. And I'll pray for them regularly. And then watch, and thank God when you start to see change. So pray, devotedly, watchfully, thankfully. And then, pray for God to open the door for the message. You can't open the door. He can do it. That's why you need him. Yeah? We need him. We genuinely need him. It's his mission we're on. And then ultimately act wisely. We're not here to put people off. We're here to be a blessing and to love them and to show them the way that we've found.